This podcast is brought to you by Ave Explorers, an initiative aimed at providing free Catholic content in ways that are meaningful to everyday Catholics. Keep listening at the end of the episode for more information on its new series, Ave Explorers, The Saints. Welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello, Ashley. It's good to be with you. Good to have you. What's going on? Not too much. We've got a big show this week. It's a It's been a busy day at work. Yeah. Uh, some big news that we will get into Um in the SOTs, but we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so if you can think back a couple days in your brain, you probably saw some Catholic news in your uh, <laughs> news feed. Yeah. So we've been we've been working hard on that all day. Yep. And so I think we've earned earned the drink this week. What's on tap, Zach? Yes. So we're drinking Irish coffee, um, which our our guest this week uh, had selected. She was looking for an upper and a downer, um, <laughs> which uh, she found an Irish coffee. But I think this is a, an important conversation to have because. Yeah, this will happen occasionally where we'll be in name drinking the same drink. <laughs> However, what what the end product is looks very different. Yeah. So what's what's you, in your Irish coffee, Zach? So first of all, I think we have to start with the coffee because right. <laughs> I oh. was late to this recording and I'm sure you can guess why. You were you were brewing fresh coffee in your AeroPress? Not my AeroPress this machine. time. This was my uh Hario pour over, my V60 oh my pour over. Um, yes. So I, you know, I've measured out the grounds. I've gr- I, I grind them in uh-huh. my burr grinder uh-huh. and I say, you know, take, it's a process for a cup of coffee. Um, so I've got that. Mm-hmm. And I also interpreted Irish coffee to mean I'm supposed to be pouring Bailey's in this coffee. Ah. So that is what I, I have here, which I'm okay. going to doctor right now while you tell me <laughs> what awful substance you have <laughs> as an excuse right. for coffee. All right. We'll start with the coffee. Um, I, you know, as you said, was a busy day and I don't like being late to things. So I quickly put my mug of water in the microwave, heated it for a minute and added some taster's choice, instant coffee, French roast, roast style. Um, so a little bit fancier than your average, uh, Folgers. Um, (laughs) uh, that was the sound of me, uh, gagging. Uh, um, in addition to my instant coffee, I have some Jim Bean and a uh, powdered coffee mate. <laughs> oh my god, that's so bad. There's yeah. nothing. A there's nothing Irish about that. Jim Bean is not. Oh, also cinnamon. <laughs> I put some Irish cinnamon whiskey. in there. I yeah, I call this uh, a Kentucky Irish coffee. <laughs> Oh man, that's so bad, <laughs> listeners. I'm sorry you had to sit sit through that. Um, it's your idea. Well, I could yeah. have sipped my coffee in peace. <laughs> I know, but sometimes I just need to expose these bad habits you have. <laughs> All right, cheers. Uh, well, cheers. Well, mine tastes delicious. Mine too. All right, who are we talking to this week, Ashley? We are very excited to have Jeannie Gaffigan on the show this week. She is a comedy writer, a producer, and the author of the book, When Life Gives You Pears, The Healing Power of Family, Faith, and Funny People. And you might recognize her last name because she is one half of the power comedy duo with her husband, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, and Jeannie had uh, attracted a lot of attention in the past month because she officially weighed in on the 2020 election in a in a big way. Well, first, her husband, Jim, did, and that 
led to Jeannie getting a bunch of Twitter trolls um, calling her not a real Catholic. And so Jeannie wrote an essay for America about just what it means to be a real Catholic and calling yourself that and voting. Yeah, it was a great essay. It resonated with a lot of our readers. So we are so excited to have her on the show this week. So stick around for that conversation. But first, we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So a new documentary about Pope Francis premiered in Rome this week and made some pretty big news for a couple reasons. Um, First, the Pope declared a support for same-sex civil unions. And second, he sharply criticized President Trump's family separation border policy. And so we are going to break down both angles of this larger story. Um, so, so perhaps up first, we could dig into Pope Francis declaring his support for same-sex civil unions. Right. So in an interview for the documentary, which is called Francesco, Pope Francis is asked directly by the uh, the director of the movie about the role of LGBT people in the church. And he comes out in favor of civil unions, as you said. Um, in his response, he says, homosexuals have a right to be a part of the family. They're children of God and have a right to be a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. Yeah. And that strikes a tone that Francis has become well known for. Right. He is he famously responded to a question about gay priests in 2013. So very shortly after he um, became pope. And he said, who am I to judge? And he's met with gay and transgender people. Um, but most this is, you know, most significant in this context, because this is the most explicit he's been coming out in favor of civil union laws for gay couples. It had been hinted at in the past, I think. There had been different stories circulating around. Right. So when he was the archbishop in Buenos Aires, uh, Jorge Bergoglio advocated for civil unions at a time when Argentina was considering making same-sex marriage legal in the country. But now he now he is pope of the entire Catholic Church, and he's coming out um, in favor of civil unions in a very explicit way. And so that's a significant shift in the Vatican's tone around this issue, if not around doctrine. Yeah. So this led to, um, well, first of all, it it was huge news, right? Um I, I saw this everywhere. It was you know, front page of the New York Times app. Um, but there were some in the media, in the Catholic media in particular, asking, is this really news and and, and does it matter? Right. So, you know, and I think that was coming from two different places. Like one, is this news if he's already expressed support for this, maybe before he was Pope? And two, is this news if it's just, if it's just words and not an actual change in church teaching? And I think it matters in the same way a lot of, what Pope Francis has said matters because he he starts these conversations often in off the cuff ways that people find frustrating where, you know, in an interview or in a conversation with a journalist, he'll say something that, you know, catches the, you know, especially people who don't pay attention to these issues off guard because it's so unusual to hear a, a Pope talking about, you know, LGBT issues in this way. Um, so I do think it's important in that it starts a conversation. Yeah. And, you know, this might it might seem strange to the outside observer, but this is sort of why we like it not changing doctrine. Right. Like this is why we in the Catholic media pay attention to what comes out of boring words like encyclicals so much. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that the, those are the things written into the letter. And that's sort of where the money is in a lot of ways. But nonetheless, like. If you, I mean, can you imagine hearing this as an LGBT Catholic who is used to a very different tone from the official church? But that was not the, this was not the only newsworthy thing to come out of this documentary. And that brings us to our second story, um, Ashley. 
Right. So Pope Francis was also asked about uh, the Trump administration's immigration policies, specifically the policy of separating families at the border. And he called this, quote, cruelty of the highest form and that separating kids from parents goes against natural rights. It's something a Christian cannot do. Yeah. Um, And this is this. He's referring to the U.S. Border enforcement policy, where officials began separating children from their parents um, as early as 2017. Um, the Trump administration implemented a zero tolerance policy in May of 2018, which led to more than 2,700 children who were separated from their parents in less than a month. Um, that June, uh, a U.S. district judge ordered an end to the practice. Right, but this continues to make news. Just this week, court filings showed that. 545 children who were separated from their parents when they crossed at the border have still not been reunited with their families. Yeah. And um, in a report on the story, J.D. Long Garcia talked to Ashley Feasley, who's the director of Migration Policy and Public Affairs at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And she said that, well, this separations from children and parents happened on occasion under the Bush, under the Bush and Obama administrations. The Trump administration's policy is is different. Um, she said that it's been a large scale, but also strategic and intentional. Right. Meaning that this was done specifically to deter other migrants from trying to cross the border. And J.D., our uh, senior editor here, um, notes that the in- administration had no plans to reunite families. So it's it's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise that there are now over 500 children who are still separated and, you know, who are going to experience uh, lasting traumatic effects from this. Yeah. And what's just this is horrific for a number of reasons. Right. The Pope's words are, I mean, as strong as you can be on this. And I, I think that's right. But like you you had parents who had children taken from them who were doing a legal thing, which is coming into this country and asking for asylum. That isn't illegal. And so to think that like taking their kids away from them as a as a way to deter other people from coming to seek asylum to save their lives is is as the holy father says cruelty of the highest form yeah and you know this is coming a couple of weeks before the election pope francis wasn't intentionally trying to to interfere there but i'll be interested to see how how his comments are received uh, among voters as we get closer to november 3rd yes um we should say that's not all that's in the documentary ashley and i haven't seen it yet um but two people that have are our colleagues uh, gerard o'connell and colleen dully who host inside the vatican podcast which we cite quite frequently because it teaches us about what's going on at the vatican and it should teach you too so they both have seen the documentary they they break it down jerry calls it uh, a visual companion piece to the pope's latest encyclical uh for telly tutti so you can um I, I don't think it's available for streaming yet um it's getting released in the u.s uh later this year. But you can hear them break it down over on Inside the Vatican. Now stick around for our conversation with Jeannie Gaffigan. Joining us from New York City is Jeannie Gaffigan. Jeannie is a comedy writer, a producer, and the author of the book, When Life Gives You Pears, The Healing Power of Family, Faith, and Funny People. Welcome to Jesuitical, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. We're really excited about this conversation. Uh, And the impetus for it was an essay you wrote for America called My Loved Ones Told Me, quote unquote, Real Catholics Vote for Trump. Here's my response, uh, which I have to say resonated so much with our audience. Uh, Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of positive responses to it. Uh, But before we get to what that response was, can you take us back 
to what started this dust up. Um, your husband, Jim Gaffigan, is, uh, I think, fair to say, a, a public figure known for his clean comedy, uh, went on a pretty intense Twitter tirade against President Trump and the people who are sticking with him. So when did you discover these tweets and what was your first reaction? Well, OK, um, I this is a, a very interesting yet very boring story, but maybe familiar <laughs> to people who have a lot of kids. I was not uh, with my husband, so I was not like in the room with him when this happened. I was not in the room where it happened. OK, <laughs> so I was um, in the middle of, you know, pandemonium and my kids were bouncing off the walls. And this is the always the season um, in August where it's already super duper difficult to get the kids on a schedule. So I'm trying to get the kids on a schedule. Jim is like, Hey, Trump is speaking at the you know convention. I'm like, uh, you know, I enjoy, I just, I don't have time. And I have a cabinet in the master bedroom that I put a padlock on where I literally lock up the screens at night. So the kids can have some boundaries around screens because, you know, Part of this whole, um, you know, virtual learning thing is the fact that they're on screens all the time. So I have to set boundaries around the screens or else they're just going to go um, to school on screens, to their classes on screens, to play on screens. And it just becomes out of control. It's like a really intense chastity belt for, <laughs> it's, for yeah, tech. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of like a, a, a chastity belt for their brains. So one of the things <laughs> that happens is that the, the charging cords for some reason, always get mangled. Mm. And I am sort of OCD, so I have to untangle the uh, cords. And it's kind of uh, drudgery. So what I normally do when I'm involved in a situation where I have to do a, a, something that's very monotonous is I, uh, I I start saying the rosary. I try to get peace because I get all agitated. So I'm in the state of um, you know saying Hail Marys, sitting there on the floor of my master bedroom, untangling cords, Phone starts blowing up. Ding, 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 ding. Like all these texts. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, open up my text. And it's like, your husband is dropping the F-bomb on Twitter. Like people, like friends, you know, they're <laughs> texting me. Like a lot of people. And I'm like, what? So I open up Twitter and I just, I'm like shocked. I see that uh, Jim is going off about someone. F-bomb. I have literally no idea what's going on. That's the moment. Do you that, think that, that he's was, hacked at this point or? No, I didn't. No, this is. Same, I, I didn't. Yeah. Because I, you know, it's like, look, you know, we're all human beings here. It's not like I didn't recognize this side, but never publicly. Right. So I knew mm -hmm. I didn't think for a second it was hacked because he was angry. Right. He he was it was clearly he wasn't like saying, um, here's a dumb joke with the F-bomb in it because it makes it funnier. Right. What specifically then, set him off at this time? Because, you know, Trump's been around for a while. Um, well, OK, so in retrospect, what happened was it wasn't Trump that set him off. It was the constant assaults on Joe Biden's character. That's what set him off. I know that now at the time. I'm just telling you exactly where I was and how I reacted to the situation because I didn't really know what was happening at the time. So at the time I was like, stop cursing, Jim. You know, that's, that's how I reacted to it. Anyway, suffice it to say that later on when we had our discussion and I'm making air quotes right now because I was <laughs> a little upset, um, 
he was just like, I can't take this anymore. It was the assault on uh, Joe Biden's character. So that's what really set him off. It wasn't that like, you know, Trump is bad. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I, you know, we let's be honest, we we all, you know, see it. So what set him off was that apparently what I missed was there was a lot of guests at this event that I missed that were going after Biden's faith Mm. and calling him, you know, names. Right. And so I think that that's where um, it kind of hit Jim hard because it was just it was so hypocritical to him. Um, I disagree with the way that he did it. So when I responded to Jim on Twitter, I was just like, okay, no cursing though, because I didn't know what, what was going on, you know? And that was kind of like, kind of funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm answering my husband's tweet by replying to his tweet, even though he's in the next room. So this is not typically something that gets gone over in marriage. I mean, I I kind of resume what I'm doing. Then I don't know if I got another text or if I checked in Twitter. That part is kind of foggy. And I opened up. Now, I don't know that this has been going on for an hour, right? I'm not that involved in it. And I see that he, that Jim is still, you know, doing tweets with the F-bomb in it, still. So then I just reply, well, I tried, right? Because at this point, <laughs> I already know that I, there's not much I can do. Because I, I've been in this situation before with Jim where something might set him off in anger. And the worst thing I can do is be like, now, now, honey, calm down. You know what I mean? Did you, did you consider locking his phone in the closet? Um, (laughs) yeah, that's not really, that's not really, uh, our, our relationship. I couldn't, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, this is about people questioning Joe Biden's Catholic faith that sort of sets off, um, Jim's Twitter tirade. And this ironically leads to people sort of questioning his and your own Catholic faith, right? Right. That's where it became very like a cycle. So at the end of this little, you know, uh, scene, this little kitchen sink drama that I'm trying to present right now is I go furious into the other room and I'm like, Jim, the F bomb on Twitter. Are you out of, I'm like priests and nuns. Follow us on Twitter. You know, I'm like so concerned. <laughs> Straight to the Catholic guilt. I like right. it. Um, and he said, look, Jeannie, I just can't take it anymore. And I think it was because, you know, Joe Biden is not like some, you know, perfect model or, you know, he's not Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. But like Trump is just in a, on a different planet. And so what he didn't understand, he didn't, he didn't understand of how all these people who are saying, in the name of the Catholic, as a Catholic, I denounce Joe Biden, the most horrible person on earth, as I stand up for all the things that we, that our faith has taught us is not appropriate. And what we've worked on with our children, you know, what, you know, what does the Bible say about pride? What does the Bible say about, you know, abusing power, mistreatment of the poor, you know, Treating others with hatred, name calling. Yeah, it sounds like so. Jim's not only de- defending Biden's faith, but like our our own our own shared Catholic faith. I think you know, it, personally, I mean, it wasn't like we were yeah. uh, we were out there stumping for Biden at the time. It was like mm-hmm. you know, it's like uh, this is what's going on in our you know world right now. Right, we spent the summer watching cities you know erupt 
in anguish, you know, uh, in the protests. We have kids who are teenagers. We want to keep our kids Catholic. And we're not wandering down the message of, of, of social justice. I mean, there's seven, you know, principles of social justice. And it's like, you know, I, I definitely we've taught and we believe in the sanctity of human life and the dignity of the life in the womb. Right. But there's a bunch of other stuff, too. We can't skip that. That's we, we teach the big the whole picture. Right. So you can't say. That, you, you know, it's like you have to understand something when your kids start to get a little bit older and the, uh, you know, they're confirmed. And you got to they're going to say, why do we go to church? What do we believe? Right. So we can't tell them that we believe certain things. And then all of a sudden they hear people from the same church saying that, you know, there's just only this one part of what we taught you that is above everything else. And uh, everything else is like socialism. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like young people like really, that sniff that out right, yeah, like right they're away. Very, yeah. They're very sharp. And they're they're ready to rebel. They're ready to leave, right? <laughs> My kids know that the kids were separated from their parents, right? At the border, you mean? At the border, yeah. And they know what's going on because it's it's on the news. And we don't we're not sitting there watching like Rachel Maddow, right? We're just watching normal news and reading the papers and seeing actual. We're not like trying to you know reading Grandpa's Facebook page. <laughs> it's like we know what's going on, and we know that there is. Obviously, there is systemic racism in the country and in our church, and we've got to deal with it because it's demonic. And we believe in Jesus and we believe in what the Pope teaches and what the last Pope taught and what the last Pope taught. And I, we, I don't think it's fair to go up in a political rally. And I have to back up Jim here. I'm not very happy about the way he did it. And I believe me, I was, you know, I didn't have time to write my feelings about it. But the reason why I did was because the next day everyone was calling me a baby killer on Twitter and, and, and insulting me. So it was like to react in defense of my husband who was defending the faith of Joe Biden because he related to his faith being attacked and he was very angry about it. And then I started getting attacked and that's why I wrote the article. Yeah. And so, I mean, anyone listening to you, I don't think would doubt your Catholic bona fides. Like the, you clearly are someone who loves the church and are, are deeply committed to your Catholic faith. Um, and I guess it's not surprising that like trolls on Twitter are are questioning your Catholicism. Right. But something you get into in the essay is that it wasn't really the Twitter bots that like really got to you. It no. was the fact that some of your... some your loved ones, friends and family members kind of had the same, they reached the same conclusion that if, if you are a real Catholic, you have to vote for Trump. Yeah. So what was it like having, having people you care about challenge your, your Catholic identity in that way? It's very easy. As you said, when the people are calling you, you know, names, it's very easy to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this, but it's 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 not like are they right you know what i mean am i a baby yeah. killer? you know it's not like that but it's when people who you love and people who you know are good and people who have helped you through you know i had a i had brain surgery i almost died i these are the same people that were there for me to pray for me to nurse me back to health like people who i love 
and reached out to me and were like, okay, here's the thing. The primary teaching of the Catholic Church is above everything else. You have to vote for the pro-life candidate because unborn babies are the most vulnerable and they are, you know, a primary. I mean, it's like if you're, you know, the people, you know, these close people to me who just really wanted to get my heart right. They wanted to make sure that I was going to go to heaven. That's when it got weird because they were like, listen, you know, if you had to, to had two choices of people to pull out of a fire, would you pull the, you know, the person who was on death row or the little baby? Do you know what I mean? It's like that kind of logic. And so I needed to say, okay, let me take a step back here because this is not the same kind of uh, heart that is kind of hiding behind like racism or wanting to close the borders or tax things and using the unborn as a human shield, right? Which is a thing. Using the unborn to get votes or, you know, whatever, because they manipulate of votes. But You're saying these, these people are, are more genuinely yeah, these like, people are trying to make genuinely concerned about the salvation of my immortal soul. Right. So that's pretty deep. And so mm-hmm. then when you look at it that way and you see that they had at the um, RNC, a, a, uh, you know, I'm not I, I'm not judging here. I'm just telling news is that they had a nun in a full habit mm-hmm. promoting Trump saying this is the deal. If you're Catholic, right? So all of a sudden I'm thinking, because I, I didn't watch it, but I, you know, of course everyone told me about it. Um, and I saw, you know, little snippets um in retrospect, because I needed to know what I was <laughs> what what's going on. Um, that I was like, oh, you know, you, that's your that's your principal, you know, that's your teacher, that's the person who helped you in your communion, right? That to, I know what it's like to be Catholic and have a heart for other Catholics. So I knew that I, because like I said before, when I started to get all, you know, uh, judgmental and, and, and upset before when I was talking about bots, you know, it's very easy to say, I'm right, you're wrong, right? But when you get to some of these nuances and you love people and you love that they want to save your soul, you know, they really believe it. Um, it's ex- important for us to, you know, examine our, di- you know, what iron do I have in this fire? Why do I feel so icky about this situation? And am I with the Lord? And am I looking at scripture properly? And am I listening to Peter? It's like, you, it's very, very easy for me to just dismiss all of this because really I can't even believe we're having this conversation in a lot of ways because it's like, come on, we have this incredibly divisive president who doesn't follow the rules, who pits people against each other. Like, it's very obvious to me, like I said before, and I got all upset, but at the heart of the matter is not that the heart of the matter is these people who I love who are reaching out to me, they know that. They're smart. They know that. But what is primarily important to them is that they honestly believe that 
the way that they vote is going to save lives. Yeah, and that's like that's a shared that's a shared genuine belief I think on both sides yeah. of the the political spectrum. Exactly. So that's why I had to pray about it. What am I going to do? Am I going to just keep my mouth shut and be like, you know what? What we all do in private is our own business. Or am I going to write something about it? So I'm not, I don't have any delusions of grandeur, but I know that if people are asking me for my opinion, because there are people, there are people, but besides the people I'm, that I'm referring to about that caused me to you know, lose some sleep at night, other people are you know, reaching out to me and saying, you know, um, my husband, he's voting Trump and my priest said I can't get communion. You know, I hear that a lot. So why are they coming to me? So I, I'm not gonna, I can't tell them how to vote, right? But I can tell them what I went through because it's very difficult because I love people who are voting Trump. And the reason they're voting Trump is not because they're like, you know, people who think that he's a God. There are people that think that he is on the right side of life and they want to save babies' lives. And that's a good thing. And I also love babies and life. But it just became really clear to me through all the spiritual meditation, the examination of my conscience, the words of Jesus, the words of Pope Francis, that there's a way to save lives that is uh, more in keeping for me personally with all the Catholic social teachings. So if my end game is that I want to live in a society that values human life from conception to natural death. And it doesn't matter if you're black or if you're, you have a convicted record or if you're on death row because you're created in God's image and God created man and woman in his image. He, and, and that if we're saying that he didn't create this one or that one, and he created this one worse and he's less valuable, then we're spitting in God's face. And that's where I came to that conclusion. Now, not to spoil the article, but you conclude you're not voting for Trump, you're voting for Biden. You mentioned that there are some Catholics, and I think a lot of people feel this way, that feel like they either have to, you know, sort of just like abstain from voting Mm -hmm. for their own conscience or vote third party. Are those people wrong? Because I think they are, but I would like to hear your, your take as well. Here's the thing. One of the things about the, the third party thing is that it's important to have other parties than, you know, the two main parties, because it represents a real bunch of us, right? That don't, you know, agree with everything on either side, right? So it's good to show, hey, look at all these people who voted for this. That means we need to make room for that voice in our politics. So uh, theoretically, yes, that is good to have third parties. In this situation, I feel that it's very individualistic to make a decision like that. And I I feel right now we need to demonstrate that we're a democracy. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm the Catholic part of the democracy, right? So I have a group too. But within it, that we value certain things more than just walking out of the polls feeling good about ourselves. And so I think that voting third party in in the situation like this is a very individualistic and that's not what we have to do right now. We have to think about everybody. That's just my opinion. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a politician, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. 
Uh, it's it's such a hard time to be talking about politics as with with loved ones, with people on Twitter. It's just it's hard. And I think that's why your piece resonated so much with our readers, because you you didn't give the knee jerk reaction. You were you were thoughtful about it. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe we could pivot to your book and the experience you describe there of, of, you know, discovering you have a brain tumor, going through surgery, recovery, um, and what that experience taught you that you're bringing to this time of not only a divisive election, but a global pandemic. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's go pandemic. I'll take pandemic for 20. Um, okay. <laughs> so I, what, this is the whole thing. When I, um, when the pandemic came down, I don't know if the pandemic came down, um, I was kind of like, here we go again, you know, because I just had a pandemic, right? So, but it was just my pandemic. And now I'm like, oh, and that's why when, when life gets to Paris, it's so funny because when you read some of the things that were just like, I don't, you know, you might not have a brain tumor, but something's going to happen to you. And I didn't see it coming, right? So when I had this experience, I was in a situation where I was, I was so busy that I couldn't even imagine adding like a, you know, uh, a book club. Do you know what I mean? Like people be like, yeah, you want to join our book, a Catholic mom's book club. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even finish the laundry. Right. I couldn't even do it. But then all of a sudden they're like, and by the way, you have a brain tumor. It was like hit like a meteor fell out of the sky and just like hit my house. So then of course, you know, there was a recovery. So brain tumor successfully removed, wonderful, and then vocal cords paralyzed, no eating, food tube, uh, ventilator, you know, and on a respirator in the, in the ICU. And so, and, you know, all these kids and a husband who was like, um, do, we, do we own a hammer? Like, no idea. You know, what school do our kids go to? I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it was, it was challenging. So essentially I was kind of in this, um, you know, I couldn't leave. I couldn't go out. I could, you know, it's like very much like all of a sudden life stopped. Right. So, you know, little like preview of pandemic. So I do think that I was rather prepared because as I went through that forced, um, retreat that, you know, I was always too busy to take, Hey, do you want to go on a mom's retreat? Are you kidding? I've, you know, take kids to gymnastics. I can't do it. Um, but then God was like, oh yeah, here's your retreat. <laughs> You're in the ICU, <laughs> you know? So, um, and that's kind of like the joke that I made during, uh, the beginnings of the pandemic. I was like, well, I guess God was really serious about Lent this year, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So, what was the um, grace that you got from that retreat? As you said, oh my gosh, the graces were, I mean, the graces were, I can't, uh, uh, innumerable. You know, I wrote a book about the graces, but one of the major uh, graces was the absolute gratitude that I had for life. Gratitude, huge grace. Um, For when I was able to first swallow water, I was like, I can't believe that I never appreciated swallowing water. Mm. (laughs) Right? Like those little things that you give up, you can't drink water. And you're like, well, that would never happen. So why, who cares? Oh, I have to carry around this water and drink water. Oh, it's so boring to drink water. And then when you can't drink water, you're like, water is glorious, right? So those little moments, right? Um, you know, being separated my, from my children, not be, having them be able to come visit me, 
um, made strengthen my faith because I, I started to get revelations about um, my faith and about, uh, about Christ, like, and, 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 uh, you know, his passion. So, you know, we always have this vision of, you know, Christ is on the cross and he's starving and he's being poked and nailed and speared and he's exposed and he's in so much pain and agony and all this stuff. And when I was in the ICU with all the tubes and, you know, uh, ventilators and things sticking in me and whatever, my hunger and my thirst for the touch of my children, you know, made me just, you know, be, be able to visualize um, Jesus on the cross and Mary not being able to hug her son, that absolute thirst and hunger for human love and touch. Right. So those kind of things, like I was like, Oh, I would have never known that. And it made everything so much more meaningful to me. So those kind of graces, the spiritual graces were unbelievable. Then the other thing is, is that after I came out and I realized and we were talking about teenagers before is that I kept, because I thought I was going to die. And I was like, Oh, what have I left for my kids who are out of confirmation now? Because I never made a plan after confirmation. Well, no one really does. Because yeah, you know that's I mean? uh, it's graduation, right? right? But, but the whole thing is, right? But you're marriage. Yeah. When's the next time you're gonna, you know? So it's like, what's the next sacrament? So the thing was, is I never had really thought of that before because I was so busy. So I was like, okay, communion class, and you know, all of a sudden when I was in the hospital, and I was like, oh wait, my both of my oldest kids are confirmed, and I didn't really set anything up for them. Meaning you didn't know you didn't set anything up for them to like continue their faith life or you feel like you didn't teach them enough or. Yeah, it wasn't that I didn't teach them enough. It was just that I was much more of a receive and leave Catholic. Mm. So even though I was doing stuff for the church and, you know, everything like that, it was like I didn't have that plan of what I because I was letting the church sort of do the sacrament. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I was helping out in CCD and I was helping out at the religious ed and helping out at the schools and everything like that. But it was all set up. It was like communion. It was um, reconciliation, uh, confirmation. And then all of a sudden I realized, I don't know why this was so on my mind, but I was like, if uh, what are my teenagers going to do? Because I didn't really talk about what was beyond. Because the church doesn't. There's no post-confirmation, whatever. There's like a young adult ministry. That's like dating club for weird Catholics more often than not. <laughs> yeah, but I, excuse me. I'm one of those young adults. Yeah, <laughs> but the teenagers are kind of in a wasteland, right? Because the what the world has to offer is just so cool. And I was like, hmm, what, what are they going to do? So I got this charism I got this like calling that I was like, I'm going to get out of here and we're going to start a youth group that's focused on service and social justice issues for the teenagers in my parish. And I did. That was a grace. So this was all, I don't know. I'm sure I was doing fine stuff before, but the brain tumor and the near-death experiences absolutely energized my faith. And it gave me a mission. It gave me a focus. And, um, the suffering, uh, it was honestly my, my Easter, you know, that, that I went into the hospital, I, I, I came out, you know, and I just was so motivated. Yeah. Well, Janie, <laughs> if you're not a real Catholic, uh, I, I don't 
think there's any hope hope for the rest of us after everything you've just said, you know, and you're clearly not someone who picks and chooses um, among the church's teaching and, and it's, it's really inspiring. Um, So thank you so much for, for having this conversation with us. Um, We do have one final question for you though, that we ask all of our guests, which is if you could canonize one person living or dead, Catholic or not fictional or real, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh, I have so many. We're gonna make we're gonna make you pick one. Oh, it's okay. You can canonize someone else next time you come on. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm just gonna pick one, but I'm saying that this is a type of person who is someone who I I call an earth angel. Like I cannot believe that the Lord has strengthened mere humans to do some of this work. But I would say Robin Klubler of the Ascension Church Food Pantry. Okay, so Robin Klubler is a woman who I've been working with through this pandemic to provide groceries to families who are struggling with food insecurity. And she had the vision years ago where she started a post-confirmation youth group and she said, you guys, I think that we need to start a food pantry. So these kids, she got them to start a food pantry. Flash forward to like six years later, and they're doing a service for like 400 needy families a week. Every time I call Robin, she's like, can I call you back? I'm at mass. Can I call you back? I'm uh, visiting a blind uh, elderly man. Can I call you back? I'm healing a leper. I mean, I just wouldn't believe this woman. I'm like, when do you sleep? But so I would like Mm -hmm. to put, if I could, I would, I would ask that Robin be blessed Robin Klubler. Amen. All right. St. Robin, pray for us. Um, Jeannie, the book is that you published last year. Again, it's New York Times bestseller. When Life Gives You Pears, um, it's still available. Paperback just came out. Um, anything else you want to plug? Uh, my husband's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can subscribe to his YouTube channel. All right. Yeah. <laughs> subscribe to Jim Gavin YouTube. And also, by the way, go to theimaginesociety.org slash service, right? And check out what these kids are doing in New York City. And if it if it moves you at all, you know, donate a couple dollars to help, you know, feed a family in New York. Or we're doing baby showers now for the, the babies that are born into homelessness. So we have lots of beautiful pictures on there. And you can also, to plug this, you can also follow on Instagram at the Imagine Society and just look back and see what is some of the stuff that we have uh, done during the pandemic with the with the teenagers and the adults. All right. We will definitely link to all of that in the show notes. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Jeannie. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. First, we want to give another shout out to Voting Catholic, a podcast from American Media that breaks down uh, what Catholics are thinking about as they head into uh, voting booths or send in their mail-in ballots. Um, and this week, we're going to be dropping an episode in Jesuitical's feed. That's right. On Monday, uh, there's going to be a new episode in your feed. It's uh, A lot of you have already checked out Voting Catholic, but if you haven't, this is the easiest opportunity we have for you. Um, 
you're really going to like it. Make sure you download it. And if you enjoy it, head over to Voting Catholic, subscribe, listen to the rest of the episodes um, because the election is still happening. And believe it or not, there are still undecided voters um, and you probably have some of them in your family. And so if these this real breakdown of the issues is going to be super important, especially if they take their faith into the voting booth. We also want to remind listeners that we are starting a Patreon reading group to break down the Pope's new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. We've already had a few people sign up for Patreon, which is very exciting. Um, So again, starting in November, we're going to be breaking down the encyclical uh, a couple chapters at a time, coming together over drinks to see what this, you know, new teaching in the church means in our own lives. So head over to patreon.com slash America Media to become a member and join our reading group. I am very excited about this next piece of housekeeping. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Padre Gotuma on the show talking about poetry. And uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, in our Patreon newsletter that week, I asked listeners to send reply back with uh, a poem that they would like to share with me. Um, and I got a lot of great ones, but my favorite was one that Brian St. Clair wrote himself. Um, and so it's it's about Jesuitical the show, and I would like to share it with all of you. <laughs> <clears throat> if you oft fall behind the signs of the times, there's no reason to despair. If you're a bit cynical, tune into Jesuitical, a young Catholic podcast with flair. It's quite a sensation, and there's canonization each time this hip show's on the air. On topics political, there's nothing inimical. Zach and Ashley play fair. When Jesuitical gets whimsical, you might read an encyclical and find God in all things with due care. Brian, that was so good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Honestly, you brought a ton of joy to our lives, made our week. Um, Thank you. Uh, That's so good. Really beautiful. So that's the honestly, like you hit these milestones with this podcast. Um, Having a poem written about it is definitely um, in, in the pantheon. Yeah, that's up there with uh, going to Australia. <laughs> yes. Um, so thank you, Brian, for your poetry and for your listening and support of the show. Yeah, uh, I think that was consoling for both of us, which brings us to Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our lives this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? I've got a consolation, and I. <laughs> it's funny, it feels a, a little basic, but mm-hmm. it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, so when I was sitting down for prayer at some point this week, I um, was very, you know, I'm pretty focused on the the method in which I'm going to pray. Like I need to know, you know, what, what book I'm using, what prayers I'm going to say, um, what app I'm going to use. I've been checking out the Give Us the Stay app, if it's going to be the rosary, what prayers I'm going to say, et cetera. So I'm very, very much in, focused on the method, right? And as I'm doing this, I don't know. I just felt this like tug on my heart a little bit. That was like, look, you got a lot going on in your life right now. Like, can we just talk? Which was like, whoa, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, and so I don't know that I'm very good at this, right? It sounds so basic, but to just like sit down and like tell God what's going on, like a colloquy, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something like I value a lot, but I'm not necessarily great at, um, but was able to like feel that invitation respond to it and, you know, have a quick 10 minutes where I'm just telling God what's going on. And I think normally at the end of a 10 minute prayer session, I'm typically like, ah, oh, God, you know, nothing got resolved necessarily. <laughs> but in, 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 in other times I would have been very scrupulous, like, oh man, you should really should have budgeted more time or you should have like prayed the right way. But like the thing I like felt was like, hmm, 
let's follow up on that. Just like a very gentle, like, thanks for talking. Yeah. Um, Talk to you later. Yeah. TTYL. <laughs> check back in. And so it's funny though. I, I, again, like still so obsessed with my, like being good at things I'm bad at that. I'm like mm. Googling, like how to be good at having a colloquy. And I <laughs> oh asked father God. Eric about it. And he was like, honestly, anything that says something other than just do it mm. is, is, is lying to you. So I guess that's, I've just got to do it. Yeah. So that was my consolation this week. Yeah, that's great. What do you got, Ashley? I also have a consolation. Uh, I, I was talking to Father Eric and made the joke that like, I feel like my consolations are becoming like a series of like Ashley breaks down her walls of perfectionism. But as I don't have to tell you, I like struggle with coming down with strong opinions. I don't like, I don't like falling down on either side. I kind of like hanging out in that like tension where it's like, oh, I see merits on both sides of this issue. Um, and I kind of like tell myself that that's because I'm like judicious and like don't want to become an extremist. But I think a lot of it actually comes down to like being afraid of being wrong and wanting to have like a perfectly thought out idea of what's going on before I say anything and contribute to the conversation, which sometimes makes sense. But at other times it's 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 holding back, not because I'm trying to be balanced, but holding back because I'm I'm afraid of being judged or um, being wrong or not having the perfectly crafted opinion. So that's context to say when I was called uh, or emailed by an NPR journalist to talk about the Amy Coney Barrett hearings on the air, I was like, and I found myself very torn between like my love for NPR and thinking this was the coolest thing ever. And the like horror of having to actually have an opinion that was shared on air. Um, so I, I, I kind of, did a very short prayer <laughs> of like, God, what do I do? <laughs> uh, and, and I was able to like come to this, you know, place where I was ready to like make the leap to be like, okay, like God w gave me a brain and he wants me to use my talents on the platforms that I have to, to, you know, express my opinions, even if they're not perfect. Um, so in that moment I was really, I did find this invitation to, yeah, share my gifts in a way that like didn't, you know, the main consideration wasn't like how this might affect my ego. It was just like, you know, I've been invited to be a part of this conversation and I'm going to do it. Um, so it was a good, like, I don't know, stretching experience for me um, that I was able to get to through through one of those quick prayers. <laughs> well, you know, whether it was supposed to do this or not, I, I, I'm sure like what an ego boost. Get on, get on. <laughs> All things considered, like pretty freaking sweet. And yeah. you were, um, you were great. And Thank listeners you. should go check that out. We, it's it, we posted the link to it in our Facebook group. Um, yeah. But I, a lot of people were like, "Oh my God, Jesuiticals on NPR." So, yep, good work. <laughs> All right, I'll get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Check out the next Ave Explorer series, The Saints, where we'll explore the role of the saints in the life of the church 
and how we can grow in friendship with them as we strive for holiness. Subscribe to the podcast or sign up for all of the free content at AveMariaPress.com or by following Ave Maria Press on social media.